0: So you begin telling us at the very beginning of this book that you came to Canada with a little suitcase full of, not full of books, you had a couple of books with you. And you said it was ironic because you weren't much of a reader, which in itself is a little ironic because there was a point in your life, I think you were around 50, 58 years old, I can't remember exactly, uh, but you were at a bookstore in Prince George, bookstore of all places, and there was a book in specific that caught your eye what book was that
1: driven by distractions
0: why did that catch your attention
1: (laughs) interesting you know so (laughs) the obviously as i've told you once before or uh several times uh, you know and doing our discussions is that uh, i'm a person that uh, discovered when i was 58 Mm -hmm. uh, by reading that particular book that that was me in the book. It was ADHD, and and all of a sudden things became clear to me. Looking at my past, I failed grade three. I failed grade seven three times, <laughs> and uh, you know, and and even to the point that, uh, you know, the, my people and parents, in a way, do I have to? We do we have to send them to a school that has the, uh, you know, the. Challenged mentally, challenged individuals, and and that sort of thing, and Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so uh, and and uh, obviously that always kind of was with me in a way. Uh, My brother, uh, by contrast, was very successful. Went to university, became an architect, and very bright, and all those things, Mm -hmm. but. I was very good in some areas, like uh, even when I was in school, usually I was the worst in the class. And then, but the one thing I was very good at is mathematics, you oh. know, so yeah, absolutely exceptional. Still am today.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And, but, but I always kind of felt there was something that was unexplained to me in my own mind, even mm-hmm. in saying, what is wrong with me? You know, so, and then in Holland in particular, Uh, you know that if you want to progress then it's always kind of what kind of diplomas do you have and all those sort of things and what university or college did you go to Mm -hmm. well I didn't I became a furniture maker and then uh, you know and and then started I always had an interest in books in a way that I would go, go through it and look at it but I didn't spend a whole lot of time reading there are only certain books that I've read anyway so then so I always, this was always kind of on my mind. And, mm. uh, you know, when I came to Canada, I wanted to start with nothing, you know, that uh, when I left Holland, Schiphol, the airport, I had only $50 in my pocket. When I landed here, I couldn't speak the language, didn't know soul, didn't have a job, didn't know anybody. Uh, and by the time I got off the bus here, I had $25.47 looking for a job. I wanted to start from there, kind of as a, you know, I had to know what, I, but can I do this or yeah. can I not do it? And, and I had the dream so of coming to Canada and the other dream was building my own lumber mill. Mm-hmm. So this was when I was 58, so I was in the bookstore and somehow I picked up that book Driven by Distractions and it was all about ADHD. I had absolutely no idea, but when I started reading and more and saw more, I said to myself, that's me. In fact, I wrote inside the cover of the book, oh. you know, that in Dutch, that is me, oh, wow. you know, and, but but I still felt there was stigma attached to it. You know, yeah. this is people that are not quite normal, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, attention deficit hyper disorder, you know, is something that, you know, still had a lot of stigma attached to it. and. Uh, you know, and as I found out more about it, you know, the, uh, uh, I started to read more about it and, and uh, you know, kind of discovered myself in a way.
0: Now, you mentioned that self-awareness, you mentioned that you were able to control your ADHD in your book. You also say that self-awareness was key in, in, in doing so. And it's quite interesting because you say that there is a stigma uh, around ADHD and that there was like this negative kind of reputation, but to you from the way that you describe it, it almost sounds like, like it was a superpower for you and that you used, you were able to control it, you know, in order to succeed with it and use it to, um, your advantage. So how did I guess self-awareness play a role in, in being able to control that ADHD inside of you?
1: Yeah, so then as I read more about it and more about it and then Googled it and got to know more about it, mm-hmm. there was a list of 20 questions to do self-diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I had 19 of them. Oh. And the one that I did not check off was impulsivity. And I have that <laughs> in a way, but I know how to control it. Mm-hmm. And then I, if I looked at, uh, you know, the individuals that uh, are not suffering from it, but have it, uh, are some of the most successful people in the world. Like uh, uh, Branson from Virgin Airlines and the Virgin Group of Companies is a typical example. Einstein was, and many, many, many extremely successful people have uh, the effects of uh, ADHD. And, uh, you know, so... Uh, I became more knowledgeable about it all the time and then started working with it, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, uh, I'm, I, I am driven, I have a lot of energy mm-hmm. and I have the ability to hyper-focus. Mm-hmm. That's allowed me also during the time that I grew up, uh, uh, You know, although I did not fit into the normal structured education, uh, you know, system. I was very good at absorbing information that I required for myself right right from the time when I was young, but I was not very good at sitting in a class and uh, you know and just waiting for them doing whatever they do. For I would sure. I would be somewhere else mm-hmm. mentally, mm-hmm. and so that was very typical to me. On the other hand. Uh, You know, even during the time I was in the Air Force, uh, you know, I started working very, very hard on some of the things that I wanted to know more about, like accounting and all of that sort of thing. And then I hyper-focused on it and then I became really, really involved. And for all intents and purposes, I can still do the same today, you know, so that, uh, uh, in in, uh, managing issues and problems and uh, where other people would, uh, you know, become a basket case from stress, Mm-hmm. I thrive on it, you know, so that I uh, deal with a lot of issues all at the same time.
0: That's quite beautiful. I love what you said about like working with it, like, you know, instead of trying to work against it.
1: In, in fact, I believe, uh, Veronica, to me, it's an asset, not a liability. It's an asset. And I feel bad about it in a lot of ways. Uh, and and. Uh, you know that for example over the weekend i met a person that is an architect mm-hmm. and very successful in his business we were work, working in, on a project on uh, on uh, in north sault on vancouver island and uh, and i had met him before but i never really talked to him and as i explained to him the book and then the issue of adhd came up mm-hmm. all of a sudden he he wanted to know more and more and more And he was one that has been struggling with this for many, many years. And, uh, you know, and and was still immensely troubled by it. You know, so, uh, you know, and that's a person 52, 53 years old, extremely successful, Mm -hmm. still trying to deal with the stigma, still trying to figure out how to manage it. And, uh, you know, and we talked for quite a while. We talked about the plans that he had and all the other kind of things that was done in half an hour. And then for the next hour and a half, we talked about all of those issues. And, and so it even more made me aware of the fact that there is so much stigma still attached to it that, uh, I made a commitment. I'm going to write a book about it, you know, and starting actually we are in the process of starting right now.
0: Yeah, congratulations on on that book. That sounds like it's sure. going to be absolutely incredible. I can't wait to read it.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's going to be exciting.
0: Um, yeah. So from the beginning of this book, we see, you know, five-year-old John, you live through World War II, part of it. Um, and or from what you can remember, you went up north to the Yukon. Uh, you you've, you've you've survived death or, or escaped death. I should say, no one survives it, but you've escaped death uh, several times in your life. You had lawsuits that took a lot out of you. You know, alcohol, drugs, smoking cigarettes, family problems. You know, all of these things throughout your your 80 years yes. of of your life naturally one would one would assume that PTSD and anxiety would be a part of that. How did you cope with that and do you have any advice to people who are dealing with that right now?
1: Yeah I would have in the sense that uh, you know the uh, ADHD is one uh, you know to recognize it and and it's not uh, you know, a a defect in any form Uh, rather. uh, It it is the person, get to know it and make it work for you and it will be an asset, not a liability once you understand it, Mm -hmm. that part. The other one in terms of uh, dealing in ADHD to a certain extent makes me as an individual. It's not something that I can take pills for and now it's gone. That really doesn't work, it makes who you are The other one in terms of uh, how to deal with stress and all the other things uh, and, and, uh, you know, going up and down in business. Again, uh, you know, I've done it so often, that doesn't mean that it becomes necessarily easy, Mm -hmm. but uh, having gone through difficult periods is part of my life. And I live with that, uh, you know, in terms of uh, uh, when I was a young person, uh, the war, To a certain extent, uh, you know, there's no question about it that I affected uh, PTSD, affected me, uh, but you can get counseling for that to a certain extent. All that part, I only understood not all that many years ago, been in my 50s, 60s. -hmm. uh, The inner child of being, losing your guardian, the only one that we had as a very small family, as me as a little boy during the war, my mother was the only one because my dad was underground. We didn't know if he was dead or alive. And so the, the loss, potential loss, was all the danger around that mm-hmm. created in a way, that, you know, you were very afraid of losing the one person that, uh, you know, that was closest to you. Exactly. Uh, that again is counseling to a certain extent that, that can deal with those, uh, you know, those issues. And then, in terms of uh, being in business and going to stress, uh, you know, all of those things happen in other people's lives through Not necessarily entrepreneurs that build companies and all the other things. The the, the greatest thing, the biggest part for me, is that I'm a natural optimist. You know, so full on. I'm I'm basically a happy person most of the times. Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the I believe in attitude. Mm-hmm you know, that I avoid negative people. And I'm a positive thinker. When it rains today, I swear it's sunshine tomorrow. No question about that. Uh, You know, then uh, uh, attitude, passion is another. Find something that you like and enjoy. So many people go to work and they don't like what they are doing that's not good for your life, not good for your relationships, not good for you, period. That could well be that the, the person that I have a great respect for that just as a profession sweeps the floor someplace, but likes what they do. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy watching people that are very good at enjoying what they are doing. It always reminds me of the uh, person that my dad had in uh, the the small mill that he had in Holland. And, they had this old cranky guy that was a specialist in in planing lumber uh, with the machine. And uh, uh, he didn't drive. So my dad hired him and I had to pick him up in the morning and drop him back off at home. And then, uh, you know, when uh, I was getting ready to pick him up, I never he never talked about anything. And then I go into the mill and to pick him up and then then he was standing there, he's, he's you know, cleaning his machine mm-hmm. and cleaning it all off, make it just shine. And then before he walked out, he stood there and he stood there and then he looked back at the machine and I thought, what the, why is he, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and he stood there and then he said, okay, so he's ready to go. No. And then I dropped him off. Have pride in what you do, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. I believe I do that. I still do that today. You know, I look forward to going to work. I am busy and all of the other kind of things and I like what I do and I enjoy to do something that is good, you know, so. And and so it's a lot of times attitude and, uh, you know, and and it makes your life much easier. uh, You meaning in a general way. And at the same time, those people around you. But for young people, I would say, uh, you know, develop that passion as early as you can. I knew very early in my life I was going to be in the lumber industry. I knew fairly early that I wanted to go to Canada. I knew very early that I wanted to have my own mill. And then you work towards it. You focus on those things. And then don't think in terms of make. I want to make a lot of money. If you're good at what you do and you work hard on it, then, uh, then all of the other things will come automatically. And then some people say, well, you're lucky. Well, the harder you work, the luckier you get, you know, so those kind of elements, but be a positive individual.
0: Perfect. Um, You could say that what we're doing right now is a little form of public speaking, which is a little part of your of your book. uh, Chapter nine here. You you mentioned how terrified you were of public speaking. And you know what? I think that's something that most people are pretty nervous about anyway. But tell us a little bit about your experience with public speaking and how you overcame it.
1: Yeah, I I probably was the absolute worst case of, uh, you know, (laughs) having to speak and and more, if there were more than three people together, then, uh, you know, then I I had such a fear of doing that Mm -hmm. and saying, well, how could you then function in your mill? You know, because I had that already, uh, you know, for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, and and then a couple of times uh, I was invited uh, to the Rotary Club here, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and little did I know when I went down that they said to me well uh, you know you want to say something and oh no we expect you to go upstairs up there uh, at the counter and, and say something to the 50 people that were there I said oh my god if I put it down there I it was I the worst thing that I ever did <laughs> so my my sister-in-law uh, you know from my f- uh, first marriage uh, Talita see she kind of dragged me down to Toastmasters and uh, she said you have to try this you have to try that I said well as long as nobody asks me any questions you know <laughs> just leave me sit so that's what I did and then uh, you know at, at some point in the meeting they said uh, okay can you tell us a little bit about yourself I, so I said well I'm John Brink and I have a mill in town here and sat down again Pfft. so I thought I was never going to go back because that was already more than I was bargaining for yeah And then I went back to another meeting and then from there on in, gradually I became more and more and more involved in public speaking. And uh, I was involved in Toastmasters for 10 years. I reached the highest level in Toastmasters, uh, being a distinguished uh, Toastmaster. Mm -hmm. It's the highest level you can go. And uh, did a lot of publications, uh, presentations in all different forms and still do today. And, and uh, although it cost me about two dollars a week maximum at that point to go to Toastmasters, I was there for 10 years. Uh, it changed my life, no question about that.
0: And now you're able to give presentations, speak in front of students, the university as well. Very great to see. Um, Okay, I don't know how many times in this book you you nearly escaped death, John. Quite a few. Talk a little bit about what happened when when your colon ruptured. Like that sounds pretty scary. And you you I think you went on a plane. Is that what you did? Yeah. With the pain, like.
1: Yeah. So uh, I was on the island, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, and I've been lucky, knock on wood, uh, you know, so far. And then over the weekend, uh, I developed a pain in my uh, in my Left side in particular, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and and what I ne- never do uh, a- at home. So I uh, in in Victoria or in, in North Sandwich I I went to bed on Sunday afternoon, but usually I would leave at five o'clock in the morning to go back to Prince George, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I had this pain and it, it got uh, you know fairly painful, and I have a fairly high threshold for pain. Mm-hmm. That's not good, <laughs> no. So then uh i thought well i better go back to prince george because i got the company to run and right. I, I went to the airport then in, in vancouver going from a gates to c gates normally would take me i'm a go-go guy right so the it would normally take me uh five six minutes or so to go from one side of the airport to the other Uh, there it took me at least 25 minutes where I had to hang on to the side or go on my knees. I knew if I would go on my knees, somebody would call 911, right? (laughs) And so I got on the plane. Then when I came to Prince George, I went to my doctor's office. Uh, He he came at about 8.30 or so. I talked to him. He said, get to the hospital right now. And I went to the hospital. And then that same evening, they operated on me because... Uh, you know, the diagnosis was diverticulitis, mm-hmm. and uh, which is uh, indirectly a rupture of your colon. So if you have pain on the right side, it's usually uh, the uh, appendix, right. but left side has something usually to do with diverticulitis. Okay. I'd never even heard of it, you know. So they operated me that night, uh, you know, the, uh, in the hospital here and, uh, you know, so the next morning the uh, uh, surgeon came and he said, uh, you came this close you know uh-huh. so what happens is the rupture of the toxins right. start attacking your organs okay and you usually have around 48 hours before Jeez. it becomes really bad oh wow and i already was on that threshold yeah so during that process uh, you know i uh, so i was in the hospital for a the week then went back to work and uh, you know so then the funny part about it and it, not funny, but anyway, so uh, I've said it now. So <laughs> then I used to go to Roger's meet on on uh, First Avenue. And mm-hmm. one of the persons there, they know me. I, think I obviously would go there in a hurry, doing lunch and buy a soup and uh, homemade soup and then be there for about ten minutes, go back to work. So uh, then he said to me, are you John Brink? I said, yeah, I'm John Brink. And he said, a friend of mine was in the hospital at the same time that you were there. The two of you, and and it was the same thing that you had, and you know how they what they called you. I said no, the walking death. <laughs> I said okay, <laughs> <laughs> and and so he it took him six months to recover, and he never quite recovered. Okay. For me, I went back to work the following week, too soon, actually. Oh. Anyway, the. Uh, Uh, I lost in the process over three weeks, about 30 pounds. Oh, wow. I had too much weight anyway. So then (laughs) I decided to go. I thought, well, that's a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I then started actively going into the gym and and get intimidated by the gym because as you walk in and all these perfect bodies are there and I walk (laughs) in there, I don't even know how to sit on the machine, you know. (laughs) So then I hired a a trainer. I did that for about 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then, uh, uh, you know, and then uh, became involved. And and somebody said to me, well, have you ever thought about, uh, uh, you know, uh, competing? Yeah. Bodybuilding? I said, me? (laughs) You know, anyway, so, uh, you know, then that's what I did. I started competing and, you know, the... uh,
0: How old were you when you started competing?
1: uh, I think I was 77 oh wow yeah and uh, competed here in the iron ore mm-hmm. uh, was second in bodybuilding third in physique
0: oh congratulations
1: qualified me for the provincials and then was third in bodybuilding and second in physique qualified me for the nationals and for the uh, arnold's Wow! but the first time that i won here very intimidating because you get, uh, you know, all, uh, you know, tanned and uh, and, and then uh, stripped from hair and all of the other kind. Of, and then you have to have your little speedo on and speedo, speedo, speedo on and you stand in all front of all. So a little bit intimidating to say the least, but uh, good experience. And, uh, you know, it got me into, you know, trying to be. Heat, healthy. I'm Mm -hmm. probably an 80-20 vegan. Uh, My wife is totally vegan. And then at the same time, uh, you know, going to the gym, trying to stay in shape. So I just signed up again uh, for Golds. And uh, right now I'm thinking about training again in the next couple of weeks and then trying to go again in 21-22 compete compete again, yeah. I'm pretty much the oldest uh, competitive bodybuilder in the province, yeah.
0: That is quite incredible. Quite the awesome, uh, I guess, goal and title for you to hold. That's quite impressive, yeah. there, John. Yeah. Now I know there's a little extra after the the ninth chapter there, the afterward. What is there anything in specific that you'd like to you know bring to light and tell our our, our viewers right now about
1: it? Uh, yeah, the uh, in particular, what happened is that uh, you know the. Uh, on May 31st, mm-hmm. you know, I uh, are, and uh, during May, I was advised that uh, I, I would be awarded the doctorates of law uh, from the University of Northern British Columbia. Oh, wow. Now, for a guy like me, you know, with was grade three and grade seven, you <laughs> know, so that's quite an honor. Quite and the in particular, honor. it's something that it, you're awarded that. And uh, so, yeah, that was major to me. And uh, the other thing that had happened at about a month before that or so, i had been told that I had also been selected for the Order of British Columbia. And, and it became official also uh, to the public on the same day that uh, I was awarded the, uh,
0: oh, uh the, the, the
1: doctorates of law. Uh, so what happened is I had to do a presentation mm-hmm. in front of probably six, seven hundred people. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, but what happened at that night at one o'clock in the morning, I got a call. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Still difficult, huh? Of course. Yeah. It's
0: okay. Take a moment.
1: I like the five less. I like it too. Yeah. So my brother passed away. So uh, it was good and and difficult. Uh, Most people didn't know. So probably the most difficult uh, presentation, but it was I, I still did it, you know, so uh and and it was a a good presentation in in a way, uh, you know, so yeah.
0: I'm so sorry for your loss. Perfect. Is there anything else that you'd like to add after that?
1: Uh no, that's, <laughs> that's already, so at that same evening, so what happened is that, uh, you know, the I, I received the award mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, in front of all these people and then did the presentation, all very official, right? So you get the cape and all, the, you know, so it's it's, it's an amazing uh, uh, feeling uh, and, uh, you know, and then at the same time, uh, you know, the, uh, the announcement was made about the award of the Order of BC. Mm-hmm. Which no, was amazing in its own as well. You know, so uh yeah, so it it was uh, good. But uh <clears throat> in terms of giving presentations, uh, it was very well received, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but uh you know it was a difficult one under the circumstances obviously. Very yeah. Yeah,
0: understanding, totally understanding. Yeah.
1: But uh yeah, so that is one of the areas that uh, you know, was interesting. Coming back in terms of uh, you know, the uh Uh, especially for somebody that could not even speak in front of three or four people. The Toastmasters, there's no question about it, changed my life in terms of uh, in my career, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and my ability to uh, interact in business. And then uh, obviously the crown is to, uh, you know, be awarded the uh, Doctors of Law, you know, know, so that was, uh, you know, very, very rewarding. You know, so.
0: The last question I have for you, John, yeah. is, and I've asked you this before, but just one more time to recap. What is it that you hope readers take away from your book?
1: Uh, it's probably falls into the title in a way, you know, so, uh, you know, what, what I wanted to do is to write the book. I thought about it for a long time already, as you know, is that uh, some people that question themselves, if they can do it, uh, and and what does it take, uh, you know, whatever it is, it is not becoming an entrepreneur and maybe be a millionaire or God only knows, all those kind of things, they are not important. You know, how can you find somebody that will give you the passion and makes you happy and whatever it is, you know, that, uh, the message, likely more than anything, is that everything is possible. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. Perfect. After all of this.
0: <laughs> of course. And that's what I said at the very beginning. I felt very inspired after reading your book. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, having this conversation with you, going into a little bit more depth about uh, Against All Odds. Thank you so much for your time, John.
1: Yeah, thank you for the interview. Of course. Yeah, I enjoyed